Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. As I begin today, I want to introduce you to somebody. We're going to call him Vegas Joe, all right? And I want you to get to know Vegas Joe tonight. There are a few things that I want you to understand about him. First of all, Vegas Joe here is a respected member of the community. Vegas Joe is somebody that volunteers a lot of his time. He, he serves others. Vegas Joe is somebody who's got a lot of followers on social media. A lot of people care what he has to say. If you're looking for some good advice, if you're looking for some counsel, if you're looking for a shoulder to lean on, you're going to come and talk to Vegas Joe. He's somebody you respect, somebody you look up to. Tell you something else about Vegas Joe. Vegas Joe's achieved a certain level of personal success. You could say that Vegas Joe is living the American dream. He's got a house and a car, and he's got money in the bank, and he's on his way to planning for retirement. Vegas Joe is somebody who's personally achieved some success. He's been personally successful. Tell you something else about Vegas Joe. Vegas Joe is motivated by deeply held moral and spiritual values. He's a person of conviction. Joe's somebody that you'd want to be your neighbor. He's somebody you'd want to live on your street. He'd be a great neighbor to have. He has a strong sense of right and wrong. He has deep convictions both morally and spiritually. Joe's a hardworking person, somebody that we could look up to and model ourselves after. Another thing I'll tell you about Joe is Joe has a high view of Jesus. He thinks highly of the person of Jesus Christ. He would say that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came into the world, and he's a great example of humanity, that if you follow his teachings, you'll experience a better life. His, the teachings of Jesus, Joe would say, is, is what should be followed by all of us. The golden rule and things like that would make our society a better place. Joe's, Joe's somebody that has a high view of Jesus. Oh, and also, Joe is going to be at church on Easter Sunday, right? I mean, for crying out loud, you can't be respected in the community, have moral, spiritual values, have a high view of Jesus, and it's Easter Sunday. Joe is at church on Easter Sunday. That is Vegas Joe. Let me ask you a question about Joe. Is that enough? If you want to get the most out of life, enjoy life to the fullest. If you want to know what it means to be right with God, is that enough? If you want to go to heaven when you die, 
Is that enough? You see, the reality is Vegas Joe here doesn't just represent most of the people in Las Vegas. Vegas Joe represents most of the people in America. There are people in America all over this country this weekend who just like many of us in there, they're going to fill church buildings. They're, They're respected in their community. They're achieving a level of personal success. They have strong moral and spiritual values and they even have a high view of Jesus. They think Jesus is a great person, an influential leader, somebody that should be listened to and followed. But, but here's the question of the night. Is that enough? Did you know that there was a guy in the Bible just like Vegas Joe? There's a guy in the Bible that has all the same characteristics of Joe. And when we read his story in the Bible, he came to Jesus with this very question on his heart. Is this really, he was living all of this out and yet there was still something in his heart that left him searching for more. He comes to Jesus and we read it in the gospel of John, the third chapter. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it there. If not, we're going to put the verses up on the screen for you. And I'm going to read for you a little bit of the story of a man named Nicodemus. You may have never heard of the name Nicodemus before, but if you can relate to Vegas Joe, you can relate to Nicodemus. Listen what the Bible says about him. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had a lot going for him. Let's, let's talk about a couple of things that are true about the life of Nicodemus. I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Number one, Nicodemus was living the way he thought was right. Like I'm sure almost everybody in this room would say about themselves. I'm, the way that you're living is what you think to be the right way to live. That's exactly what Nicodemus was doing. And here's another thing about Nicodemus. He was very sincere. Nicodemus was not somebody who was just putting on a show. Nicodemus was a very sincere person who was genuinely living the way he thought was the right way to live. The Bible tells us that Nicodemus, like Vegas Joe, Nicodemus was very respected in his community. So how do you know that? Well, a couple of things. Number one, his name. You see, Nicodemus was a Jew by birth, but we learn about him with his Greek name, the name Nicodemus that had been given to him. The name Nicodemus in the Greek language means one who has distinction among the people. Nicodemus, even his name tells us that he was looked up to by the people around him. And his status in the community, the Bible tells us that he was a ruler. 
Now, this word ruler communicates something to us about his wisdom and his influence. Being a ruler meant in this day that he was someone that others would come to for counsel or for input. If they were to crossroads needing to make a decision, they're coming to Nicodemus to get his input. This word ruler probably means that Nicodemus was part of what was called the Sanhedrin, which would have been an elected group of people selected by the community to be a counsel. So if there was ever a problem in the community and they needed somebody to step in and make a decision, it was these men. Nicodemus was so respected that others trusted him with the decisions that he would make. Nicodemus was living the way he thought was right. And one reflection of that is he was very respected among the people that he did life with. He also held very deep moral and spiritual values. The Bible tells us that he was a Pharisee. Now, if you've ever read much of the Bible story at all, you've heard the term Pharisee, right? But, but unfortunately, when we read about the Pharisees in the New Testament, we sometimes see them as the bad guys, right? The Pharisees in the Bible, we imagine them with black hats and always tying people down to railroad tracks, waiting for the train to come run them over. They're the bad guys in the New Testament. But in actuality, even though the Pharisees made some very significant bad decisions in the New Testament, historically the Pharisees were some of the most deeply spiritual and religious people in Jewish society. The Jewish people revered the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were the most sacred text in the life of the Jewish community. The the, the law had been taken by what was called the scribes, and the scribes had taken the Old Testament law and extrapolated hundreds of rules and regulations, helping the everyday Jewish person know how to apply the law to their everyday life. You know who the Pharisees were? The Pharisees were the men that stood in front of the entire community and took a public oath to keep and observe every single one of the hundreds hundreds of scribal interpretations of the law. The Pharisees had embraced a strict moral code of living. They were devout believers in God. They were students of the scripture. They were frequent in prayer and they devoted themselves to fulfilling all the commands of scripture. Here's what that means. Every mom and dad in the Jewish community wanted their children to grow up and be like the Pharisees. They were the best of the best when it came to respect and success and morality and values. Nicodemus was doing everything he could with complete sincerity to live as right as he could possibly live. I'll tell you the second thing about Nicodemus. He held a high view of Jesus. Look how he approaches Jesus when he comes up to him. He respects Jesus immensely. We see the respect that he has for Jesus in the two titles he gives him. He calls him rabbi and he calls him teacher. Both of these were terms of great respect in his day. Meaning that that Nicodemus looked at Jesus as somebody whose words mattered. The teaching that he shared mattered and it could impact and change lives. He respected Jesus as a great teacher. You know, that's not unlike many Americans. 
There's a research group out of California named the Barna Group, and they did a research study across the United States of America. Let me tell you what they discovered about Americans. Look at this. 93% of Americans believe Jesus is a real person who lived on the earth, and 91% of them view Jesus in a positive way. Here's what that means. Almost everybody in America, there's some exception, but almost everybody believes that Jesus was a real historical person who lived, and almost nine or over nine out of ten people believe that Jesus was a positive influence, that following his teachings is a good thing. That's exactly who Nicodemus is. That's exactly who Vegas Joe is. High view of Jesus. Not only did he respect Jesus as a teacher, but he recognized Jesus as having come from God. Do you hear what he said? He said, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God, for nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. Here's what Nicodemus said about Jesus. This was no ordinary man. He recognized something supernatural, something extraordinary about the person of Jesus. Did you know that's also very common in American culture? That same research study, look what it showed us. 74% of Americans believe that Jesus is either God who lived among humans or uniquely called to reveal God's purpose in the world. Meaning this, if you were to ask the average American, what do you think about Jesus? They'd say, oh, I think he's a great person. I think he really lived. I think he's a positive influence. I think he's a great teacher. And I think that, that, that Jesus is somebody that's either God who came to live among us or he was sent by God to reveal God's purpose to the world. It's exactly who Nicodemus was. It's exactly who Vegas Joe is. I'll tell you the third thing he thought about Jesus. He revered Jesus for the great things he'd done. He says to Jesus, Jesus, nobody could have done the signs that you've done unless God's with him. That word sign is a unique word. The Bible, the New Testament's originally written in the Greek language. And the Greek word for sign here is a word that means a miracle with a spiritual end or purpose. It's something that defines the finger mark, the handiwork of God. Nicodemus looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, I've listened to you. I've watched you. I'm telling you, you're great. You're extraordinary. There's something that is divine about you and the things that you've done can only only be attributed to works of God. American culture, very much like that. Look at our study again. Almost 60% of Americans believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and will return to earth someday. And yet here we find Nicodemus Respected in his community, achieved a level of personal success, high moral spiritual values, high view of Jesus. And he comes to Jesus at night with a soul that is still searching. That's like a lot of you maybe here tonight. Maybe a lot of you tonight, you're just like this. You're, you're respected in your community. You, you, you've been personally successful. You've got high moral spiritual values. You would even say you have a high view of Jesus, but maybe, just maybe you're here. And your heart's still searching because even though you got all this, like Nicodemus, there's something still missing. Here we find Nicodemus asking the question in his heart, is 
this enough? You say, but he didn't ask the question. No, but it was in his heart. You say, how do you know? Because Jesus answered him. Jesus answered the question before Nicodemus could even ask it. Let me show you again in John chapter 3. Look at verse 3. I'm going to put just verse 3 up on the screen. John 3, 3 says this. Jesus answered. He knew what was in the heart of Nicodemus. He knew what he was searching for. He didn't even have to ask the question. He could tell when Nicodemus came. He knew his heart. Why? Because Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus answered and said to him. What are the next two words? Say them out loud. Truly, truly. Did you know that 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 phrase, truly, truly, is only used in the Gospel of John? And did you know that every time that phrase is used in the Gospel of John, it's only used by Jesus himself? It's used 25 times in the Gospel of John, every time from the lips of Jesus. And every time Jesus uses this phrase in the Gospel of John, he always uses this phrase to introduce a very important sentence. It's always at the beginning of something that's very important. And you could literally see this this way. It's as if Jesus is saying, I who am the truth am about to speak to you a great declaration of truth here comes Nicodemus with all this going for him and yet on the inside he's empty and he's asking the question is this enough and Jesus looks at him and says listen to this truth unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Here's the last thing I want you to know about Nicodemus. Nicodemus had never been born again. It's a strong statement Jesus makes in the Greek language. It's a double negative. It it could literally be translated never, ever, ever. Unless one is born again, he will never, ever, ever see the kingdom of God. So that raises a few questions that I want to bring this to a close with tonight. Number one, what does it mean to be born again? It's a term most of us have heard. It's been used in secular media. It's been used in movies. It's obviously been used in religious circles. What does it mean to be born again? Well, let me tell you a couple of things it doesn't mean. To be born again does not mean to find religion. Religion has hijacked this term of being born again. And a lot of people use the term being born again to mean, well, I got baptized. Well, I've gotten involved in church. Or, well, I'm doing some religious acts. I've been born again. I'm a churched person. But listen, Nicodemus had that down. Nicodemus was as religious as you could possibly be. He had the religion thing cornered. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, you've never been born again. Being born again is not just finding religion. Let me tell you something else being born again is not. Being born again is not just turning over a new leaf. Some people think this idea of being born again means, okay, I'm just going to change my behavior. I'm going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to fix a few things on the outside. I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'm going to start over. I'm going to turn the page. It's a new day in my life. I've been born again. That's not what being born again is. Nicodemus had done all that. He had high moral, spiritual values. He turned the leaf over until it couldn't be turned over anymore. Then what does it mean to be born again? Well, let's look at the two words. 
born. To be born means to be born. Now, everybody in this room has been born physically. You had a birth. If you don't agree with that, we need to get you some psychiatric help. If you think you've arrived some other way, we, we'll, we'll get you directed somewhere, all right? But everybody in the room has a birthday, right? Anybody's birthday today? Anybody's birthday today? I don't see anybody whose birthday's today, all right? No birthdays today. But every one of us have a birthday. We all have a day that we're born. We celebrate it when it's our birthday. It's a time we're born physically. But Jesus here says, Nicodemus, I'm not talking to you about physical birth. He says, Nicodemus, I'm talking to you about being born again. We've all been born once, but Nicodemus, I'm talking to you about a second birth, being born again, being born anew. This word again also means to be born from above. Jesus is referring here to a second birth that is not a physical birth, but as a spiritual birth from above. It's a supernatural work of God that happens on the inside. Probably nobody has preached more about being born again than Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who went home to be with Jesus last year, Billy Graham preached to millions and millions of people all over the world. And everywhere Billy Graham went, he would fill stadiums by the tens of thousands, sometimes in other countries by the hundreds of thousands. They would gather to hear him preach. And he would preach the simplest sermon about simply being born again. What does Billy Graham say about being born again? Listen to this quote. Put it up on the screen. Our first birth gave us physical life. The new birth gives us spiritual life and membership in God's family. That's what it means to be born again. Well, here's the second question. Why why did Nicodemus need to be born again? I mean, it looks like Nicodemus got a lot of good going for him. Why, Why would this guy need to be born again? Listen, same reasons you and I need to be born again. Two things. Number one, Nicodemus was dead to God. He was dead to God. He was alive physically, but he was dead spiritually. You say, how, how can you say that? How do you know that? Well, it's because we all come into this world alive physically, but dead spiritually. You see, the story, the whole story of the Bible teaches us that God created you and me. God made us as human beings to live in fellowship with him. He made us to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. When God created human beings and placed them in the Garden of Eden, he created them to live life, enjoying life out of the overflow of a love relationship with him. But the Bible teaches us in the first chapters of the Bible that Adam and Eve sinned against God. Those first two human beings. And when they sinned against God, here's what happened. They died spiritually. It means that Adam and Eve lost the ability to have a love relationship with God. And the Bible tells us that every person who's been born since Adam and Eve, that's all of us, every person born physically since Adam and Eve has come into this world exactly like Adam and Eve, dead to God, 
but very much alive to sin. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Listen to what it says. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. Who's that? Adam. And death through sin, spiritual death. So, look what it says. Death spread to all men. Every one of us, all human beings that have been born since Adam and Eve, have been born alive physically and dead spiritually. You say, where's the proof? Here's the proof. The Bible says, because all sinned. The evidence that we've all come into this world alive to to sin and dead to God is the way we live our life. We all come into this world with a nature that is bent towards doing that, which is opposite of what God would have us to do. Let me try to illustrate it for you. I have, uh, I have four children. My, my third child, our youngest son's name is Elijah. Some of you know Elijah, especially if you have children, you know Elijah. Because Elijah normally, here's a picture of he and Tony and Jasmine. Elijah's right here in the middle. Elijah's normally over in Hope Kids serving every weekend with your boys and girls. That's where he is every Sunday. He loves serving those boys and girls and families. So if you are a regular part of our church, this is the Elijah that you know. But when we moved here 19 years ago to plant this church, Elijah was three years old. This is the Elijah that moved out here with us. Oh, I love that. Oh, isn't that so sweet? Yeah, don't let that face kid you. We moved here 19 years ago. This little boy was in our car. Sweet, innocent little face. We'd been in our house a couple of weeks. I'm sitting in my living room on a Saturday afternoon and five little children from the neighborhood come running in my front door, come running into my living room. Five little boys and girls come running right up to me and they are laying out the case that Elijah, this sweet little innocent boy, has punched another kid in the neighborhood. I go out in the front yard, and I find Elijah standing there. Elijah, (laughs) the evidence is not looking in your favor, son, but I need to ask you a question. Did you punch that little boy? (laughs) Nope. Let me ask you a question. Who taught that little innocent kid? how to lie not even talking about punching the other kid we didn't have boxing classes in our house who taught him how to punch who taught him how to lie and cover it up listen you think I'm making too much out of this little incident with Elijah you go spend tomorrow afternoon at Chuck E. Cheese You want to do a real sociological study, you go spend the afternoon at Chuck E. Cheese. Let me ask you a question. Who taught all those kids how to act like that? (laughs) Nobody. It just comes what? Oh, did you hear it? 
You just said it comes naturally. Here's what that means. They're simply acting according to their what? Nature. What is that? Listen, we don't come into this world as a blank slate. We come into this world with a nature that is dead to God, that is bent towards disobedience to God. That's why we have to be taught right from wrong. Why? Because we got wrong covered. We know what that is. We come into this world bent that direction, and that's exactly where Nicodemus was. You can put all this on the outside, but it doesn't change the fact that we come into this world dead to God. He was dead to God. But here's the second thing. He was headed for an eternity separated from God. Do you hear what Jesus said to him? Unless one is born again, don't miss this, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, as it's used here in this particular verse, it's, it's interchangeable with the phrase eternal life. Eternal life, it, it, eternal life speaks to a real love relationship with God in this life, but it also speaks to a relationship with God in eternity in a place called heaven. Here's what Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, because you're dead spiritually, if you die spiritually, you're headed to an eternity separated from God. He said, you'll never see God. The word see means to enjoy and experience J.C. Ryle said it this way, heaven may be reached without money or rank or learning, but it is clear as daylight if words have any meaning that nobody can enter heaven without a new birth. So Nicodemus heard all this. And Nicodemus looked at Jesus. We're not going to read it, but down in verse 9, Nicodemus said, okay, God, then Jesus, how, how does this happen? I've tried religion. I've tried morality. I've tried all. I'm missing it. How can this be? And in response to that question, Jesus gives him a little illustration from the Old Testament. And then Jesus gives us what is arguably the most famous verse in the whole Bible to answer Nicodemus' question. How can I be born again? Here's what Jesus said. In verse 16, for God so loved the world. This is right in the middle of the conversation that he's having with Nicodemus. Nicodemus had all this going for him. He was still empty. He'd never been born again. How do I get there, Jesus? Oh, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but has eternal life. Listen, hear me. If you're here tonight, hear this. God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are. 
It doesn't matter what. Listen, listen. The enemy does not care if he gets you in religion or strung out in the street. Anything other than relationship with Jesus and he's got you right where he wants you. It doesn't matter if you are religious like Nicodemus, if you got it all packaged together on the outside and you're just hurting or if your life is falling apart from decisions and choices. Hear this. God loves you. The whole story of Easter is that he loves you so much that when there was nothing you could do to save yourself, he sent his son. Jesus came into the world. Jesus offered his body on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. On the cross, Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin. And on the cross, he died in our place as our substitute. He died for us. But listen, it's even better news than that. What we're celebrating this weekend is that he didn't stay dead. Let me tell you why that's important. You see, God raised him from the dead as a testimony that he accepted his sacrifice for our sin. So that now, put that verse back up here. All we need to do in John 3, 16, it says, is to believe in him. And have eternal life. Nicodemus said, I'm trying. Jesus said, it's not about trying. It's about trusting. Well, what does it mean to believe? In the 19th century, there was a French acrobat whose name was kind of long, but he had a stage name that he went by, and it was called Blondin. Blondin was a French acrobat in the 19th century whose feats literally captured the attention of the world. One of his most famous acrobatic feats is he, was, he, he announced through newspapers around the world that he was going to go to Niagara Falls and stretch a tightrope. Look at the picture of these falls. You got to be crazy to do. He's going to stretch a tightrope 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls, 160 feet above the water. And Blondin said, I'm going to walk across that tightrope. No safety net, no harness, no ropes, nothing. So he sent the word out, and they gathered by the tens of thousands on both sides, the Canadian side and the American side, of Niagara Falls and they held their breath as Blondin here's a picture of him as he stood there on the falls Blondin as he walked across they, they held their breath it took him about 22 minutes to get from one side of the falls to the other he finally reached the Canadian side of the falls and the crowd just with one breath just began to cheer and celebrate then he went back across the other direction quicker this time then he, he, he did several other things. The, 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 the stories are legendary. They say he, he rolled a wheelbarrow across and back. He went to the middle and he fried an egg and ate an omelet and then went to the other side and back. And Then he got his manager to jump on his back. And with him on his back, he carried him across the rope and back. And the crowd every time is holding their breath. And when he steps on the land, they cheer. And when he gets back from carrying his manager, they're all cheering with ecstatic excitement. Blondin looks at the crowd and he says, how many of you believe? 
that I can do that again. And they'd watched him. They'd seen him. And they all screamed with one voice. We all believe. He said, then somebody hop on. And nobody got on. There's a whole lot of you today who would say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's God. I believe he's a good person. I believe he's a great teacher. I believe he's supernatural. I believe he did supernatural things. Here's what I'm asking you. Have you ever gotten home? You see, belief, biblically, is not just acknowledging some facts. To be born again means I come to the place where I turn from my sin. And I, listen, when you get on his back, you surrender control. When Blondin stepped out on that tightrope with his manager, all his manager could do was hang on to Blondin for all he was worth. So goes Blondin, so he goes. To believe in Jesus is to surrender the control of your life to him, receiving him as your Lord and Savior, and embracing him by faith. And that's how you're born again. So here's the final question of the night. Have you been born again?